Welcome to the Stone Pillar Podcast, a conversation that revolves around the teaching ministry of South Paris Baptist Church. I'm your host, Brian Wilbur. And I'm Dane Sampson. Brian, uh, I understand that you were away at a workshop, an expositional workshop last week, and I was hoping that you would tell us all about it. <laughs> if I tell you all about it, it might take too long, but I, but I, uh, I will tell you a little bit about it. Um, so there's a ministry out of the Chicago area uh, called the, the Charles Simeon Trust, and they conduct workshops on biblical exposition um, all throughout the country and actually throughout the world. It started small, and it's grown uh, to be a pretty extensive uh, ministry. And it is a huge blessing to pastors like me and uh, others who are, who are involved in teaching God's Word in various settings. I, I first a- attended uh, a workshop in 2013. It was actually in Toronto. And uh, I really didn't know what I was getting myself into when I went to that first workshop, but I knew that I had, uh, I, I knew that, that this was a valuable equipping workshop that would be, that would be helpful to people like me. So, um, so th- this past, uh, this past Last week, uh, October 8th through 10th, uh, November 8th through 10th, I'm in Gorham, Maine, uh, was uh, the main workshop uh, put on by the Charles Simeon Trust, and uh, that that was uh, our third workshop here in Maine. That was, personally for me, that was my 11th workshop overall. And it's kind of funny because I thought, I thought about not going this year because I've been to 10 workshops, um, you know, do I, you know... Do I do I need to go to another workshop? Uh, maybe maybe I should take maybe you know maybe I could take a break. Um, but uh, but I went one of, and one of the one of the factors uh, that led me to go again the eleventh time is that I wasn't the only one from our church who went. Uh, there were two guys in our church, uh, Ben, who's an elder, and Adrian, who's an elder in training, <clears throat> and they also they went with me to the workshop, and so oh, it was, great. So, so it was. Uh, you know, there was a there was a, a church training dynamic to the the experience, uh, having Ben and Adrian there, and I think I think they were blessed uh, by the workshop and benefited from it. And even for me, like like I almost didn't go, but I was hugely blessed. I was I was enriched by the by the instruction by the fellowship. And honestly, I was I was challenged in some ways where I need to grow in where I need to grow in my preaching, and so I'm I'm still learning. I'm I'm still mm. I'm still being confronted by, you know, by uh, 
by deficiencies or weaknesses in in, in my own uh, preaching and teaching ministry, and that's and that's good. So it, yeah. it was very edifying. Uh, that's just those are just some general comments, but more, more to the more to the nuts and bolts of the workshop. The purpose of the workshop is to help men, specifically pastors, but there's some non-pastors there as well, but to help, help, help pastors faithfully handle the Word of God. It's so easy to, to you know, uh, handle the Scriptures poorly, where you, you might open up to a passage and, you know, how does it make you feel, or what does this passage mean to me, or you just, you just start lifting out concepts kind of in a haphazard way. Um, and they're really trying to, to convey to you that God's word is, it's, it's, it's coherent. It's, it's organized. It's um, worth thinking well about. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah, there, there is a, there is a point, not only there's obviously a point to the whole Bible, but there's a, there's an overarching point to each book of the Bible. And there's an, there's a, there's a main point to each unit within the, the book. And that, and that, you know, it, that might sound really academic. Uh, it is, at the end of the day, in my experience, it's really not academic. I mean, yes, it, it, it's intellectually demanding, mm -hmm. but it's not, what I mean is when I say it's not academic is it's not academically detached. Like, like, like it, it is, the beauty of God's word is shining through the, the shape of the text. Mm. And through that text, written in a particular way, with a particular emphasis, a powerful point that I need to reckon with, that I need to hear, that I need to grasp, that I need to communicate, that point shines through. And um, I would say that one of the, one of the um, really positive impacts that these workshops have had uh, on me over the past decade is that it has increased my confidence in teaching God's word. Because if, you know, if you're, if, if I'm just up there, just kind of giving a, you know, a haphazard running commentary yeah. on what, you know, here's verse 21, here's verse 22, here's verse 23. Okay. Well, yeah, you know, I, I might say some profitable things, but, but when, when you've considered a text and you really see how that text is shaped and the main point that's shining through, then with great confidence and I encourage, I can proclaim that to the, to the people because I'm, I, I know that I'm cutting with the grain of the text. This is, this is the point of the text. Yeah. I see it. Hopefully you can see it. Who's listening to me? Hopefully I can show you how, how to see it uh, so that we all can be confident that this is indeed uh, the word of the Lord to his people. Um, final thing I'll say um, in terms of this particular workshop, th their their emphasis is uh, is you know rightly interpreting the text, but they also want you to effectively communicate the text to the people that are listening to you mm -hmm. when you're standing in the pulpit or teaching a class. And I was you know I was really challenged in some in some ways in terms of how to effectively get the message of God's word across to the, the people who are listening to me today in the year 2023. And 
some of the some of those things I had heard before, but again, one of the benefits of going to to the workshop basically every year and going to my eleventh workshop is that some stuff some stuff started to click um, for me this year in terms of getting the message across and and how, how you how you you craft the message in such a way that uh, today's hearers will effectively hear the word of God that was written down long ago, but it still is uh, still authoritative, still inerrant, still relevant to God's people today. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a good experience again. And Dane, maybe uh, one of these years you can you can join us. Yeah, I, I would love to. That sounds great. I, there's. Uh, you know, you mentioned the kind of like people having a surface reading, kind of reading for a buzz. Uh, the buzzes are so much better when you dive deep into the text and you, you wrestle with questions and you find answers to those questions and you, you, you dive deeper into the text. It is, it, this is not just like a pastoral, like not just for pastors. Like this is something that every believer, I think, should be growing in and exercising because it is it is rich and it is challenging and it is his living word and we are we are instructed to study to show ourselves approved as a workman who is rightly handling the words of truth and I think that is just really exciting so I, I'd love to go that's that's awesome um, this past Sunday we had a, we had a guest speaker here and uh, one of our missionaries was in the pulpit and he spoke to us on the topic of corporate prayer. And what are your what is your takeaway from this Sunday's message? Well, it was a really good message and a really needful message. Uh, he, he was he was emphasizing uh, th- that in the Western world, including of course the United States of America, we're very individualistic. I think I think especially in America, he was emphasizing we're very individualistic, and obviously, you know, the the, the Bible calls us to pray individually. That's something we need to do at the individual level. But uh, Nathan was trying to to communicate the fact that we need to pray together, and God's word encourages us to pray together in in in, in various ways. Uh, such as you see God's people praying together in in uh, in the book of Acts. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah, um, and 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 you know, so so for one thing, we we need to be encouraged to pray together because we have an individualistic bent, mm-hmm. and we need to realize that we need to come together. It's 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 fine to come together. And it's good to come together for, 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 for feasting, for informal conversation, for just doing life together, uh, serving each other in practical ways. All of that is not only is it permissible, it's good, it's right, but we also need to come together for prayer. And I would add to that, and this is something I, I mean, something that I at least have some awareness of in terms of my own life, is, is that... Uh, not only are we an individualistic society, but we're also uh, we're very, we're we're in many ways a very a very wealthy and privileged society with 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 so much stuff and so many tools and so many gadgets and so many practical solutions to our problems that uh, we we 
we often are not desperate enough to pray. I mean, if, if, we, if we saw things clearly, we would feel desperate mm. because the world is broken. Uh, the, the, the church is not yet perfected and has its share of problems, uh, as do each of us individually. And if, if, we, if we saw those things clearly, and if we saw God's holy word, his standard clearly, and we saw the gap between our lives and his word, that should make it desperate enough. But I think we get into a mindset where we've been discipled by our materialistic te technological society where uh, we, 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 turn to, we turn to other things before we turn to the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's to our shame. So yeah. I think that uh, just the very fact that he addressed the topic of prayer and that he encouraged us to pray together and actually... Um, facilitated a time of prayer as part of his sermon, which is also really commendable because, um, I mean, you know, just what would it be like to hear a, you know, hear a summons to prayer and then see you later. Uh, it's like, so it, it was, it was, it was wise for him to, uh, not only issue a summons to prayer, but then immediately to lead us into a time of prayer. Uh, so it, yeah, uh, uh, Good message, needful message. I think we need to be exhorted on that regularly, and then we need to actually we need to actually do it. Yes. So, do you, you, you have any any well, any thoughts on prayer? Well, I, I I I'm familiar with a few areas in Acts where we have examples of corporate prayer, like when when Peter was imprisoned and they were praying together, and he was miraculously led from the prison by by an angel and uh, delivered to them, and they didn't even believe it. They didn't, like, they were in the middle of praying, you know, intercession, praying for his what? deliverance. An answer? And they, they actually got, like, an answer, like, speedily, and it was, uh, it kind of caught them by surprise, and that's, I just find that to be so, so real. Mm -hmm. I love that. And there, you know, there's another example. There's a few examples of corporate prayer in, um, in the book of Acts, that seems to be, you know, it seems to jump off like in, in my, like my biblical understanding, my biblical knowledge. If I was to find, if I was just to think of examples of corporate prayer, I'd immediately think of the book of Acts as being a place where I'm going to find examples of corporate prayer. But I wanted to challenge myself and find an example of corporate prayer in the Old Testament. I'm like, is, do we have examples in the Old Testament of corporate prayer? Did you find one? And I, I found something that I think would... And, I'm going to try this on for size, see what we think here, but I, I found what I think would be an example of a corporate prayer in, in a few of the songs that we have in the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus 15, which is a song of deliverance. The horse and the rider have been thrown into the sea. And this is, this is a song. Mm -hmm. It's just like a spontaneous mm -hmm. breaking out in song and worship in thankfulness for mm -hmm. what God has done. Mm -hmm. And... And praising God for who He is, and and these are elements; these are prayerful elements in the in the songs. And uh, Deuteronomy thirty two would be another example of that. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, and there is a bit of a theme where I see this, like uh, the it start the prayer starts out with like the the heavens and the earth and and those who are under the earth. You know, we are going to praise the one who is on the throne, and we see this again in the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that. There are examples in the Old Testament 
particularly in the Psalms, Deuteronomy 32, Exodus 15, where we see uh, song and corporate singing being done in a prayerful way. And uh, I think that's probably the best example that I was able to find. We certainly need to be unified in prayer. We need need to be unified in worship. We need to be unified in doctrine. We need to be unified in love for one another. We need to be unified in mission to the world. We need to be unified in prayer. Prayer is kind of at a at a connecting point to the the whole whole Christian life, really. A lot of the corporate examples I found of prayer in the Old Testament were like consecration prayers, consecrating the temple. And they were, they're usually done with a mediator, mm-hmm. someone who is like anointed a king or a prophet that was anointed that would lead the people in prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was, it's very unique. It, it just, it kind of highlights and emphasizes the uniqueness of what is happening in Acts that there, we don't have a, a king like Solomon mediating prayer as we consecrate the temple of Solomon. We have a resurrected king who is our mediator and uh, the consecration of the temple. He consecrated the temple and put it in inside of those who believe. And uh, so now we have this, we don't have a mediator like they did in the Old Testament praying. We have Christ as a mediator and we get to all share in that. And that's very new. It's like a, a new covenant <laughs> that we're under. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah, yeah it's just... A little bit of a paradigm shift, but still the same, the same agenda is at play, and I think that's pretty cool. Well, let me let me shift gears. Uh, we're going to devote the rest of this uh, podcast episode to getting to know you, Dane, uh, because uh, uh, you know we're we're not just talking heads. Uh, We are human beings. We are embodied human beings situated in life in a fallen world. And uh, it's good for those who are listening to this to get to know us a little bit. And, uh, you know, you can you can query me uh, some weeks from now. But uh, but but today I'm going to query you. And just want to give give uh, give people an opportunity to get to know you a little bit, to get to know your story a little bit. And so I have a few questions that I want to ask you. And uh, so let me let me set up the first question. Um, uh, scripture teaches in various ways that uh, that all, all human beings are sinful. In fact, we enter into this world dead and trespasses and sins. Uh, and uh, we're born into this world without a heart for God. And so my first question to you is, just in terms of your, your story, your journey, is how, 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 you know, how did the Lord work in your life so as to give you a heart for Him and for His kingdom? That's a great question. Very that's, that's gonna, I'll do my best to answer that question fully without taking too long. <laughs> um, well, it, it started uh, it's, it started pretty early. Like I mean, my childhood was relatively rough, and I I needed God, and 
I was raised in the church. I had uh, believers as my, my mother was a believer and my, my stepdad, he, is, he was a believer. He ultimately became a pastor in the church. And it, going through the, uh, the heartache of my, my mother's divorce and the separation that happened there, I was, I, I was, in a, in a, I was a hurting unit as a, as a young boy. Um, without getting into the details of that, it was in, it was in uh, April of 1993 that I, that I heard the call, that I first heard the call. And um, my, my life was permanently changed from that moment forward. And uh, I was nine years old when that happened. And uh, I felt God calling me, uh, I heard God calling me to be a missionary. That was what he had put on my heart. Um, and and it, it wasn't just like an abstract or uh, a subjective thing. It was an extremely um, heavy but inspiring thing that in my hurting state gave my life purpose and meaning and, and breathed into my that development stage a, a great sense of belonging and meaning to my life. Um, you know, during that stage, a lot of people will say like, oh, you, you're, you know, a product of, a, of a, a separated family, you're going to be a delinquent, you're going to amount to nothing. And a lot of these concerns were weighing on me heavily. And I had been taught to bring my concerns before the throne. And when I did, he comforted me. And it changed everything about how I saw life from that moment on. And in, in short, what, it, what I learned from that interaction before the throne was that though I had a father who was a biological father who was what I would call yucky, he was very yucky, I had a heavenly father that was perfect and while one man might seek to uh, do things for my evil, there is a God who will use that for my good. Um, and while the suffering was real and, and there was no whitewashing it or looking at it with rose-tinted glasses and diminishing the, the severity of the situation, there was a hope that carried me through that situation. And um, yep, yeah, so in 1993, in April 1993, I heard the call when I was nine years old. And in 1999, six years later, you know, uh, that was a very trying six years. Um, within that period of time, I was baptized around the age of 12. I was baptized, and in 1999, I went to Ireland and Scotland as a missionary, my first missionary journey, and I was 15 years old. Um, then in 2000, I went to Austria and Slovakia and England as a 16-year-old on a missions trip, learning uh, street evangelism, sketch evangelism. Um, went to a, a European missionary conference, and, and uh, they, were, they were teaching street evangelism and, and techniques. And I, I went to that conference, and I lived in Austria for, for uh, almost a year, uh, learning German and uh, working in the Christian elementary school, working with the kids, practicing English with them, 
going on hikes in the Alps with uh, the children from the church and uh, just growing in that environment and learning how our missionaries lived and how, how, they, how they did the mission. Um, in 2001, I participated in starting a Chinese church in Durham, New Hampshire for college students who were studying at UNH uh, from China. And I was a piano player for that church. Started that with a, a mentor, Pastor Wayne Goldworthy and uh, Jerry Jenis, who both really influenced my life at that time when I was 17. I also started Bible college in that same year. Then in 2002, when I was 18, I went to Thailand, uh, went there as a missionary, spent some time there working with our missionaries and going to a missions conference. It was in East Asia. Um, and then in 2005, when I was 21, I joined the army. Uh, that started, you know, an eight-year contract with the army, and uh, I, you know, uh, I finished Bible school a year later in um, 2006. And then in 2007, um, I went to UNH, uh, studied numerous things uh, pertaining to my job in the army as a medic, so anatomy and physiology and learning Arabic, and that was my first uh, real academic introduction to Semitic languages. And then in 2009, I went to Iraq and spent a year there. When I got home from Iraq, I got married in 2011. Um, then that started like a kind of a six-year period of what would be another six-year period of trial in my life where I was going through a lot of pain and struggles. Um, some of that was connected to my time in Iraq. And, you know, I, I had... You know, this whole time, you know, up, up to the point where I was in, where I joined the Army, things, things started to kind of shift in my life when I joined the Army. Uh, I still was a believer. I could, never, I could never deny God as being real and being efficacious and being, uh, being the source of hope. But I encountered a lot of different worldviews, and, and, and I, wasn't, I, I wasn't very equipped with, a, with good apologetics. So I didn't always have great answers for sincere questions that would be posed to me by agnostics or uh, spiritualists or um, you know, various things that you encounter when you are in a melting pot like the US Army. So during that six year period of time, I was on a very kind of a, a, a curious quest. Um, I, I, I was not I was not in any place where I was prepared to deny God. I, I knew that God had put a call on my life. There was no denying that. But I was very curious and had to find answers. So I explored everything. I read everything I could during my time in Iraq and in the army, uh, everything from Eastern mysticism to Gnosticism to the Stoics. And uh, I just read so much during that period of time trying to find a, trying to find answers, because I didn't, I didn't know any of this stuff. I mean, growing up in the church, it was kind of an, a bit of an echo chamber. Um, you know, I was taught a lot of truth, and I was taught the word, and I had some great mentors and great teachers, but I wasn't fully equipped to wrestle with some of these things that people were bringing to me that were coming from either a Gnostic camp or a Stoic camp or a mystical camp like the Eastern mystics. Buddhism, Hinduism, all that nonsense. So I studied it because I'm an open-minded kind of person and I want to know what I'm talking about if I'm going to talk about it. So I explored all these things and 
I found them to all be very shallow and empty at the end of the day, and, and none of them were anywhere close to the truth that I'd been raised with. And uh, I it was a, a six years of uh, kind of a lonely path of discovery and exploration, and finally God had enough, <laughs> and I had had enough. And, uh, and God, he had pursued me, and he had chased after me, and like a hunter, he had tracked me down. He, he had not given up on me. I wasn't going to give up on God, but I was still, you know, I was still kind of trying to figure out things. And, um, and God humbled me, and he, he, uh, he convicted me, and he, he brought me back to himself in, in an amazing and supernatural way. There was, there was healing that took place and deliverance, um, and that was, that was absolutely majestic. That was um, right around the time that I was uh, becoming a father. Uh, my firstborn was, was going to be born, and right in the time frame of like 2013, um, I, I rededicated my heart and my soul and my life um, to, to my heavenly father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was more than 10 years ago now and I'm not looking back. Um, you know, I was, it was kind of a delightful discovery to kind of, uh, go through that whole process of exploration and to kind of end up back where I had pretty much started, mm-hmm. um, knowing that his word is truth and, and in his word is, is the words of life and, and there's no trading that for anything else that is out there under the sun. And, uh, you know, the verse Isaiah 41, 10 throughout this entire, you know, this entire journey, that was like my life verse, you know, do not fear for I am with you. Do not look around for I am your God. I shall strengthen you. I shall also help you. I shall also uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness his strong, mighty right hand, he upheld me. And through fear and uncertainty, he was faithful, even if I at times was not. Um, and that, that was just, you know, uh, you know, there's no credit. I can't claim any credit, but I can praise God because he deserves all the credit. Um, it's just absolutely remarkable to to think of how this timeline has unfolded and what he has done in my life so when you said back in episode six that you know that that the lord can take uh you know take suffering and turn it to good um you weren't you weren't speaking abstractly like you've like you've you've experienced that no uh, yes i have experienced various forms of tremendous suffering and and god has been he has been the constant uh he has been the hope and without hope you have no hope you're hopeless Mm -hmm. and there's no you can't fight without hope and he has always been a source of great hope Mm -hmm. that there is there is a meaning behind this. This is not done just for the sake of causing you pain. It's done for a, a, a greater glory, 
Um, and, you know, hardship produces endurance. And that has been very evident in my own experience. As the Lord works in our lives, as he draws us to himself, as he gives us a heart for his, his mission and his kingdom, obviously his words are, are intimately involved in all of that working um, you know, his working in our lives. And so the next, the next question I want to ask you is, is, you know, how, how did you, how did you come to have, uh, uh, you know, you might not want to phrase it this way, but from my point of view, you know, how how did you come to have a, a solid understanding of God's word? I mean, are you in your forties? Almost. You're almost okay, and and you know I'm I'm, you know uh, it's evident to me it's evident to me that you're very thoughtfully um, engaged with the Bible and have have a have a have a have a reasonable grasp of of what it's all about and you're able to expound upon it. So how how, how did you know how did the Lord develop you on that front in terms of bringing you to an understanding of His Word? I, I obviously had an advantage. You know I was raised in the church with um, two very godly believing parents. You know, my stepdad is my dad. Like, I, he gets all the credit of being an amazing father, an amazing example, an amazing teacher, amazing mentor, an amazing man of God. And, you know, he, from a young age, was either, either overtly through instruction and correction and teaching and discipline, but also through example and how he lived his life. Um, so I, I was very blessed. You know, I had, I had this yucky, this yucky example and I had this glowing example, which was wonderful because I could juxtapose those and say, well, that's a good example of what not to do. <laughs> Here's a good example of what to do. And that was life changing. And I am so blessed to have the, the father that I have in my dad. Um, I also had amazing mentors as well that had taken me under their wing and had invested in me from a young age. Um, you know, obviously I mentioned some of those, you know, Pastor Wayne Goldworthy, Pastor Bruce Brown, Pastor Anthony Stevens. Um, you know, these, these men helped shape who I was in my most formative years. Um, baptizing me, dis- discipling me, um, bringing me alongside. And uh, I mean, goodness gracious, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for these men. Um, so I was raised on, under that, under the spout of some solid teaching. And and that really set me on, set me up for success. Um, but then, you know, I, I went to Bible college and that was very, you know, I learned a tremendous amount in Bible college and that was really amazing. Um, but I needed to develop a personal relationship with God early and it was forged and fire and under great pressure and it it showed itself to be existentially practical time and time again it was life saving without any beating around the bush it was life saving truth that i needed and i needed it early um so i always there was a hunger for it that started that started very young, and I, I didn't 
you know, I wasn't like, you know, a, a student for every day of my life, but, you know, I was meditating on his word and around people who meditate on his word um, for m many days of my, my most formative years. Uh, when I rededicated my life and my heart, my soul to my king, um, I revisited everything that I thought I knew. So like I was raised with all these things and like, okay, well, I, you know, is that really true? Do I really know that? You know, I had to check and I had to verify everything that I believed and search it out and, you know, uh, apply the Acts 17.11 challenge and study, be a Berean and search to see if these things are so. I had to dive into all of these things, all these preconceived or uh, presuppositional positions that I might have had. I had to look and verify and vet everything. And it was too important and too weighty of a subject to just trust another person to tell me how it is. I had to take personal responsibility for the relationship, my side of the relationship with God. Um, so, oh, goodness gracious, I mean, if that doesn't motivate just diving into his word and learning who he is and what his character is and, and what his promises are and, and what he has done and, and what he promises to do, and that was supremely motivating. Um, There's a number of uh, pastors and scholars and teachers who helped me along this way, who I, I tapped into. I, I listened to, at that time, 2013, I listened to uh, tons of Chuck Misler. <laughs> Chuck Misler really uh, awoke in me a real, um, a real excitement for his word, uh, for, the, for the word of God. Um, and always I always felt challenged to study it out for myself and not to just take it at face value, but to actually look into it and really uh, put the work in to research and re put the work into study so I could bury these things deep into my soul. Um, so they just become part of the fiber of my living. Uh, it was, uh, it was probably a few years before, you know, you know, uh, Dr. Michael Heiser passed away, you know, maybe pushing a year now, I think he passed away and I, I had studied him for two, maybe three years prior to him passing away, going on to glory. Um, and he, he just completely changed my walk and for the better, it, it was an amazing journey to, uh, to just study along with him, uh, through his podcast, the naked Bible podcast and, uh, and, and the various sources of, uh, his publications and stuff like that, that just really opened up many things, but also, uh, those apologetic questions that I had like that had nagged at me that I'd I maybe had answers to, but uh, uh, apologists like um, Dr. William Lane Craig really helped me resolve a lot of those, um, those, 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 the tension in those questions and gave me the tools so that when I could interact with uh, atheists or agnostics or pagans or um, Gnostics or whatever it is, you know, I could, I, I had an answer. I had, a, I had a good answer. Mm -hmm that was a sound answer. Um, and that really just, that changed a lot of things because that, that gave me a 
a lot of confidence. But I, I found very soon that studying his word builds my faith and building my faith builds my relationship and building my relationship, it makes life the greatest adventure. And you are on this great adventure with the greatest of kings, the greatest of commanders. And, uh, and it's just, it's just amazing. It, even in, even in misery, it's, he still deserves worship. Like we talked about last time. One of the things I was thinking about when you were sharing there is, uh, how you were communicating that, you know, it, it, knowing, knowing God through his word, uh, you know, wasn't something that you were doing just, you know, just because you found it intellectually interesting, but that uh, knowing God through his word is actually a matter of life and death. Yes. And, and that's, that, that is the reality. That's, that's why God's word is so critically important. And that's why sound doctrine is so critically important because it's that that it's that which generates soundness in us i was thinking i i, I was thinking of psalm 119 and just to illustrate you know um psalm 119 verse 25 says my soul clings to the dust give me life according to your word and 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 and, and then verse 28 my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. And, and there's those kinds of statements that run throughout Psalm 119. And, and so that's, thank you for sharing that. That's, it's good, to, it's good to, to hear that reality conveyed that, that knowing the word of the Lord is is of inestimable value. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between salvation and damnation. It's the difference between fruitfulness and barrenness. Mm. Speaking of God's words, in a recent episode, we talked about uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the call upon us to make God's word prominent in our in our lives and, and, and including in our homes. And I, I, I'd like to ask you, you, you had mentioned, you had mentioned that you have a, the 10 commandments posted in your home. So that's, that's one way that you, that, you know, you're displaying God's word in your home. So I wanted to ask you, how, what are some other ways that you um, endeavor to make God's word prominent in your home? You're married, you have a wife, you have, you have, you have three kids. Uh, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? How do you seek to do that? Well, it's, it's by no means perfect, whereas it is now. There's plenty of room to continue growing in this, and, uh, and I have every intention of doing that. Um, we, we do. We have the Ten Commandments that are on the wall. Uh, we have the Shema that is also on the wall, which instructs us to talk and to instruct our children and, and when we lay down and when we raise up uh, and when we walk. Whatever we're doing, just as we're going through the normal operating of life, we are to be communicating God's word 
to our children and and to our spouses. Um, you know, and that's that's that is what we do. We seek uh, to find examples. We spend our time like looking and like, well, there's an example. What the, the, these worldly things are full of examples of what not to do, <laughs> and why? Why? Is that an example of what not to do? Well, the, God's word tells us why. Let's explore that. Let's discuss that. So we have a ongoing, free-flowing discussion in the house about things concerning his word. Um, and that, that is commonplace. It's just, it's just the way we live is that we discuss his word. We see something or we encounter something or something raises a question. Everything in life has something in the word that can address it and there, and can illuminate it. Um, one of the practical ways that we did this, it was really great uh, for, we haven't done this recently and we should probably get back into it. Um, but we had like a, we would go through Proverbs and we would do a chapter in Proverbs every day. There's, you know, there's 30, uh, maybe 31, yeah, 31 chapters in Proverbs. Chapter 31 is the, the virtuous woman. Um, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs and, you know, well, there's about 31 days in a month. So we'd go one chapter per one day and we'd talk about it. One of the reasons, why, one of the reasons why we have, we haven't been doing that recently is we don't have any time because we'd spend so much time talking about it because it is so rich and the kids get involved and they ask, they're asking questions and the conversation just goes. The next thing you know, it's time for dinner. Uh, and we haven't done our chores or we haven't done things. So there is budgeting time for it and then making time to meditate on it, mm-hmm. making time to practice it and exercise it. And, and, and both of those things are important. You don't want to be, well, I, I, I'm drifting away and, and putting distance between me and the word. You want to keep very short accounts with his word. But at the same time, it is very important to, to step back and not just like, I feel that sometimes, and this may, you know, this may be a controversial take, but I feel like sometimes uh, believers feel like they have to, like there's Bible reading plans. They have to read every single day. And yeah, that's, that's probably optimal. That'd be great. But um, there is much exercising in what you just read that needs to happen. And reading without comprehension also, reading it without comprehending what you're reading it or, or, or encountering some um, life-changing truth and not applying it, not taking the time to exercise it, there, there is something in the learning process that is being um, hampered by doing that. So we seek to find opportunities in our daily life to discuss, apply, act out, see examples of his word around us and, and interact with it on a regular basis. And that's, that's where we are, where we're at right now. Um, that's where we're at right now. Good, good, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, the actual practice of meditating upon and discussing God's word is much more important than fulfilling some plan or carrying out some preconceived notion or checklist of what that ought to look like. Not that it's wrong to plan, not that it's wrong to have a, to have a game plan, but 
uh, if it, it should never become about, well, I can, okay, I can check the box. Yeah. No, are we actually pondering God's word? Are we actually pondering God's word together? That's, that's the far more important question than, yeah. than the, the exact form that it takes, um, on any particular day. By the way, uh, Proverbs is, uh, is, is, is such a rich book, um, we might think about uh, we might think about walking through it with our families in in chunks smaller than a chapter and maybe stretching it out over like six months or or even a year. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, there's got to be 31 chapters. There's got to be more than 600 verses in there that mm-hmm. you could you know you could you could chew on. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me let me get uh, to my next uh, my next question here. This this one is a little bit more. Uh, open-ended so you can take it where you want but um when you're not uh when you're not fulfilling the role of a theologian podcaster (laughs) um what what kinds of activities are you typically involved with in in a you know in a normal week or a normal month and you you know i'm not expecting you to be exhaustive so you can you can take that where you want to but just to give us a just to give us some snapshots of of other parts of your life. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I have a lot of passions and interests. Um, I, I love to play the piano. Um, so I play the piano pretty much every day for, for, you know, a significant period of my day is playing the piano. I also am a hunter and a trapper and a main guide. So this is trapping season. So we're out in the woods, not every day, but nearly every day, uh, beaver trapping, uh, you tend your traps every three days. So we're at least out there every three days. Um, it's also hunting season. So that usually, you know, you go out and check the traps and you do some hunting and you get some time in the woods, which is, you know, absolutely excellent. I love being in the woods. I'm a woods, woodsman guy kind of guy. Uh, I, I, that is, that's my business. I've started my own business doing that. So that's a huge passion in my life. I've always loved that. The classical music, uh, classical art. Um, I love art. Uh, I'm, I'm very much an artist in my own right. Um, I make knives. Um, I, I, I'm a skier and a snowboarder. Um, like not in an amateur way, like I was very professional in the snowboard, in the snowboarding realm for 25 years. Um, I was, a, I was an EMT for many years of my life. So I, I have a, a, I always had a love for anatomy and biology and, um, you know, I, I explored that as an EMT first, uh, doing mountain rescue, um, ski patrol, various ski resorts in the area, um, worked as a flight medic in the army and I still, you know, still love anatomy and, and, and love that, that whole, I love medicine. I really have a passion for it. Um, so there's a number of things, uh, working with the kids, homeschooling them, running a farm and a homestead, raising, raising our own food and processing that and, and just, you know, pretending I'm Daniel Boone or something, or so a little little house in the prairie, kind of kind of life. What, what it, going back to 
the first question and kind of bring it up into the present day. Um, you know, you, you, you said that you, you received, uh, you know, the call to mission, to be a missionary when you were nine. And you talked about how that unfolded um, specifically through, through your teenage years um, in various parts of the world. Um, what, what is, like, what is your sense of, like, what's your mission now? Uh, you know, as as a as a as a Christian, um, as, as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a part of this church family, living in this particular part of the world in Western Maine, like what like what is your sense of, uh, yeah, what what is what is being a missionary look like for you right now in the year twenty twenty three? Well, when I obviously in my teen years, I was very focused on foreign missions. Um, and I think that is awesome, and that is so important. However, <laughs> however, uh, really, I started to kind of awaken to this idea during the time when we were starting the Chinese church in Durham. Is like, wait a second, we've got a foreign mission field in Durham, New Hampshire. So, so it kind of broke the paradigm that you need to travel mm -hmm. to go to the mission field. Mm -hmm. um, that that really was kind of mind blowing because we had a, a Chinese speaking church. Like we were speaking Chinese in the church. I was learning Chinese. Um, <laughs> all the worship songs were in Chinese and this is a foreign mission field for all intents and purposes, but it's in Durham, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that was pretty wild. Um, at this point, the mission field is right in front of us. Uh, it, I don't, I don't see the mission field as just foreign missions. Yes, I think foreign missions are really cool. However, I think that we've got a very necessary mission right out our, outside of our doorstep. I mean, you don't have to go two steps off the doormat and you've got a mission field. So the mission field is right up in our face. We are, well, you know, you could say we're behind enemy lines and we have this commission, this mission of the Great Commission um, to take the gospel out and to, to preach salvation to the whole world. And uh, even though this is, you know, a Christianized part of the world, we've got, you know, a little tiny New England church in every small town. Um, people are horribly, horribly ignorant to the good news. Um, so the mission field is right in front of us. They're not ignorant of bad news. No, that's true. Um, <laughs> the, the mission field is right in front of us. So the mission, I'm, I'm still a missionary in my mind. And the, the mission field is, is a little bit different. I, I define it a little differently than I once did. I define it now as the mission field is, yes, the unsaved. Also, my brothers and sisters need to be encouraged in their mission. Yeah. So that there is, there is a much more broader uh, uh, interconnected idea of what the mission is, is that we need to be encouraging each other along our mission. If I can encourage a brother or sister and that brother or sister goes into the workplace and shares the gospel with a coworker, I have succeeded in my mission. Uh, my crown of boasting is how, how can I help my brother and sister in Christ if they are encouraged and edified by something I say or, or do or, or my testimony or what have you, then I have, I have done something to help fulfill my mission. I want to uplift the person next to me. I want to encourage them forward. Um, that's, that's the mission that I see. And I want the church to understand 
that the gates of hell will not prevail mm -hmm. against the church. Mm -hmm. And I want us to lean in to our mission mm -hmm. and do so fearlessly. Mm -hmm. For goodness sakes, Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. Mm -hmm. Let's lean into it. Let's not be scared. Let's not be timid. Let's, let's be confident because we have every reason for confidence. Mm -hmm. And uh, that would be kind of my... How much time do we have? We're, we're running on... Uh, four minutes. We have four, yeah. Uh, uh, we're, yeah, the amount of digital space on the recorder is kind of limiting, limiting us to another three or four minutes. So um, it's, it's, it's good to hear, you know, substantively about your story. And I think, that, I mean, this is, this is kind of the first, you're the first one to share your story on the podcast. I hope you're not the last. I, I hope that actually uh, over, over the months, I hope that we're able to, you know, bring different people in here um, to hear how the Lord has worked in, in that man's or that woman's life so that our church family, and as well as other other believers, and maybe even unbelievers, uh, can, can be uh, can be encouraged uh, to can be provoked in in a good way, uh, can be stirred up, uh, can be challenged uh, by the the reality of God's working in the lives of His people. So, um, I, I just as we kind of as we kind of conclude here, uh, you know, if you if you have uh, any. Uh, comments or questions, we would love to hear from you. You can send an email to podcast at southparisbaptist.org. And I also want to let you know that I'm hoping that sometime in the near future that we actually devote one of the podcast episodes to answering questions from kids who are, you know, under 13. Uh, my kids are already excited about this, my older ones. Uh, and uh, so, you know, if you have kids under 13 and they have questions, uh, you know, uh, please submit them. We'd love to have, I'd, I'd love to have 10 or 12 or 15 questions that we run through in an episode uh, responding to the hearts and minds of the youngest among us, as 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 they 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 too are learners. They too are in the learning process as as young disciples or potential disciples, and it's important to speak to their to their hearts and minds. So, uh, well, it's been good. Uh, so, I, you know, as we typically do, we want to acknowledge uh, acknowledge uh, Aaron Darrell for the music at the beginning. Of the introduction, we want to acknowledge Caleb Lynch for his engineering work, and we appreciate those who are listening and benefiting from uh, from these podcasts. And we, again, we'd love love to hear from you. And I'll give you the last word. All right. Well, thank you, Father, for this time. And we ask that we just guys God's grace and His face shine upon you as you go in His peace. Amen. <laughs>